It's great to be with you today. I love Celebration Church. You're a wonderful group of people. I get the privilege to do this uh, every year or so. It's always a special day in my life. And uh, I love Pastor Frankie and Allie so much. You have the greatest pastors. They're so young and vibrant and talented and charming and, and doing a great job leading you. It's been my pleasure to track with this church since your early days. Um, and to see what God is doing here is truly an amazing thing. What a vibrant family he has brought together uh, that is making an impact on this region, touching so many families. So you're blessed. How many of you love Pastor Frank and Allie? Aren't they fabulous folks? <laughs> fabulous people. Extraordinary leaders. And uh, you're blessed to have them. Uh, there is a special relationship between a church and the uh, primary pastor. Uh, there is something about the sound of his voice. The words that come from him uh, are carried by the Holy Spirit and touch us very deeply. Jesus said in terms of the shepherd-sheep relationship, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. Uh, when you have a pastor, there is a connection in the voice. Uh, there is something about the things he might say on a given Sunday that touch you very deeply. And you find yourself saying, man, that's exactly what I needed today. And you find yourself th saying things like, you know, I was studying the scripture and I read that very verse and was meditating on that very subject. There's a connection in the voice. And there'll be times and opportunities in your life when you have great decisions to make and he'll be speaking to hundreds of people, but a word will go forth just for you to help you make that important decision. And that's the beauty of having a pastor. The fact is, everybody on this planet needs a pastor. I have a pastor. You have a pastor. Pastor Frankie has pastors in the form of his dad and myself. Because everybody needs a pastor. And uh, you are blessed to have one of the greatest pastors I know, one of the most talented couples, uh, most capable that I know and have the privilege to work with. It's my pleasure to stand in this pulpit uh, his, in his absence today. And I have a word for you, and I pray that it'll be a blessing that'll strengthen you and help give you direction in your life. And if you're a guest, I'm going to tell you how happy I am to, that you're here today and what a pleasure it is for me to speak to you. But Pastor Frankie's a much better preacher. He's younger. He's better looking. He's a lot more funny. Uh, and come back next week and you'll really be blessed. But tune your ears because I do have something to say today. Are you ready to listen? All right. Let's, uh, let's get started right now. Today I'd like to talk to you about a place to call home. You know, we live in the suburbs of this great Houston area, and there's really no better place on the world to live. I, I assure you of that. Um, besides for a, a, a abundance of humidity, you can't find a better place to live than right here. Um, thank God that we have the privilege to live here. And, you know, we live in the suburbs. I live down in Sugarland, and, uh, you know, it's a great place to live. But when you crisscross Houston you're going to encounter homeless people. Uh, there are people that live here in this region that have no place to live, that have no place to eat, and are just wanderers. And when I pass those people, it, it disturbs me very deeply because I know they're human beings and they're God's creation, and I, I'm concerned about them. And I, I, I'm sitting at the red light, and I'm reading their little, uh, please give me a blessing sign, and I'm thinking, where did you sleep last night? And where are you going to sleep tonight? And what did you have for lunch? And where are you going to eat supper? And, and what happens if the weather turns bad? And when it's very cold, where do you go? And so there's a great tragedy of homelessness in this country and in this region. And I know you feel disturbed about it as I do. And I've studied about why people are homeless and uh, what why they're in that position and, and studied some of the solutions that might be out there for these people. 
But today I'm not here to talk to you about those people that stand on the, the crossroads with a little sign asking for something uh, monetary. But I'm going to talk to you about the tragedy of homelessness where people have nice homes and families and good jobs and careers, but still they do not have a place to call home. There are a lot of people that seem to have all the trappings of life and the things we human beings need, but they've never found that special place that God has for them. You see, God has a place for you where geography, specific geography, special people with special assignments converge. And when you find that special place for you and your family, that's the place you're going to flourish. That's the place you're going to, your life is going to be optimized. When you find the place on this planet for this season of your life that God has for you. So today I want to talk to you about a place to call home. Let's study the scripture together. I'll start with the book of Genesis chapter 2 and I'm going to look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of the life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good good and evil. Can you say amen? So this is the, the beginning, the Genesis. We see that God created a garden, and he put man in that garden to live, and that was his place. Now let's go to the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 14. And I want us to begin reading there in uh, verse 2 and read down to about verse 4 or 5. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus speaking. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Notice that Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, I want us to go further into the scripture to the very last book of the Bible. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go to chapter 21. And I want to begin reading again in verse 1. This is the end. We started at the beginning. We went to Jesus. Now I want us to go to the end. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Can you say amen? Amen. I want you to notice that in each of these passages, there is place. There is geography. There is some place mentioned. First of all, in the Garden of Eden. And then Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. And then in John saw that place, he called it a new heaven and a new earth. God's desire is for everyone to have a place. In the Genesis, we understand that before God created man, he created a place. You see, he didn't create man and then scratch his head and said, you know, this guy's going to need a place to live. But first he created the perfect habitat and then he created man and he put man in that place. And in that Garden of Eden, he had sweet and perfect communion with Adam and Eve. They had everything that was beautiful for sight. They had everything that was delicious and healthy to eat. And God would come in the cool of the evening and they would commune together. It was a place of safety. It was a place of harmony, a place of peace, a place of beauty, a place of help. And they had this place because it was God's great pleasure. It was God's will for them to have this place. 
But in the place, God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when you get in your place, you know that there are benefits and blessings and privileges, but there's also regulations, guidelines, and limitations. And when Adam and Eve violated those simple guidelines that seem so simple to me and you today, like how stupid was that? You, you had everything you wanted to eat, and you ate the wrong tree, and you lost it all. Not smart. But you know, we humans are still doing that today. God blesses us and he sets some simple guidelines, some simple perimeters and said, look, don't go there. But we go there anyway and we mess it all up. But God's will was for man to have place. And when he violated the simple guidelines that God had given for him for his own good and safety, then he was cast out of the garden. And when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, so the human race was destined to wander. They were destined to the tragedy of homelessness. You see, they had the earth before them. They had space, but they didn't have a place. They lost that place because they violated just some simple guidelines that God had put in place. And so... After Adam and Eve, humanity began to wander in the tragedy of homelessness and began to plummet in sin and division and wars grew out of that and fighting and, and killing and, and sin began to multiply. So much so that God said, it grieves me that I even made man. I wish I had never even started this project. And so God destroyed the earth and mankind with a flood. And he preserved the humanity with the sons of Noah and their wives and repopulated the earth. But man still didn't have his place. And so man lived the tragedy of homelessness. Space, but no place. Space, trees and mountains and hills and air and water and animals, but not really having the place that God had designed in the garden. And they wandered in the tragedy of homelessness. But then God interrupted that homelessness when he chose Abraham. He looked down after several hundred years and said, I want to build a family. I want to have my own people. I want to have a holy nation. And so he chose Abraham and he revealed himself to Abraham and he said to him, I am going to out of you bring forth a whole nation. You're going to have so many children and grandchildren, you're not even going to be able to count them. They're going to be as innumerable as the stars of heaven and the grains of sand along the seashore. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and multiply you and I'm going to give you more than you ever dreamed. And I'm going to cause you to be a blessing to the nations. And everywhere your children grow, they're going to be a blessing to whomever they encounter. But remember, that was not all that God had promised Abraham. It wasn't just about you're going to have kids, you're going to have money, and you're going to, you're going to be able to bless the nations. But God said, I want to give you space. I want to give you a place. And so God said to him, I'm going to give you all the land of Israel for your people to dwell in. And we're going to be a family. And I'm going to bless you. And I'll give you peace. And if you'll keep my covenant, I'll bless you and give you safety and security. But if you don't keep my covenant, then you'll be expelled from your place. And you'll be driven into the other nations of the world. You see, God puts great emphasis on place. And when he made the promise to Abraham and to his children, geography was central to that. Because God created us to have a place. From the Garden of Eden all the way to the new heaven and the new earth, God said, you've always got to be in your place. And so Israel was given geography. They was given a place for them to live and to dwell. I choose to believe, according to Scripture, that Israel has been given that land for eternity. And if they will do what's right in the sight of God, they will live there in peace and safety. But if they violate God, then they're subject to being thrown out. And that was the conditions of, of their land covenant that may, they made with God. But the point of my message is this morning how that place is rolled into everything God does with his children, actually having a place. When mankind was cast out of the garden... He had space, uh, but no place. Space is infinity. It's the unknown. It's the incomprehensible. And until man takes possession and finds his destiny, sp space is just that empty and just that void. But when man comes together on the 
place that God has chosen him for him, there is a convergence of geography, of special people, and a special purpose. So your place in life where God wants you in this season of life is where these three converge, the geography, the special people, and the special purposes and pursuits he has in your life. It's the convergence of all these three things. Uh, you've got to have the right people in your life to do the right things in life and to be the right place in life. So there is a place for you in this season of your life that you're supposed to be and live and work and function. And it's in that place that you're going to experience the optimum blessings of God. And it's every man and woman's responsibility to find their place and to get in the middle of it. You know, I know that when you find your place, you're going to do better than anywhere else you could possibly be. All of us can think about other cities to live in, other jobs to work in, other churches to attend, other friends to have. I mean, we can all think about some imaginary life that might be better. But the truth is, wherever God places you is the best place for you to be. Wherever God puts you is the place you're going to flourish and grow and do your very best. And it's our responsibility to find that place. That place, where am I to live? Where am I to work? Where am I to go to church? Who am I to look to? What is my network of family and friends around me? And when you find that place, that's where your life is going to be maximized and optimized, when you find God's place. You know, um, we understand that man needs a place to function. And it's important that we understand that it's not just random. It isn't like, you know, just wherever, whatever, whomever, whatever opportunity, wherever I want to go, wherever I want to be. But it's seeking the Father, seeking our Lord and saying, God, where do you want me to be? What is my place? What road do you want me to walk? What voices do you want me to listen to? What hands do you want me to hold? What purpose do you have in my life? When we find that place is where our life is really going to take off and where we're going to do our very, very best. And uh, when you study the Bible, uh, again, much of the Bible is about place. There's a lot of geography in your Bible, a lot of special places, a lot of holy places, a lot of wonderful places that God used that place as a blessing. And um, so we understand in the garden, it started with a place and then they lost it. Then Jesus came along and said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in eternity. And then John saw that place as a new heaven and new earth. So there's a place that stretches from the beginning to the end. And all throughout that time, man has always had a place. As a child of God, you have a place. And I'm talking to you today about finding that place and getting in it because everyone needs a place. You know, in the world today, we have such a thing called cyberspace cyberspace. It's a wonderful thing. It's changed our lives and made us uh, our lives better in many, many ways, and we all use it. But within the, um, the uh, population of, of cyberspace, there are a lot of homeless people, a lot of homeless people, people that are wandering through cyberspace, uh, tweeting and texting and connecting with people that are absent others and people that they really don't know. Cyberspace is a breeding ground for the homeless, a breeding ground for people that are connected with other people some other place, but they really don't have a place. And so they build a life that, um, that is in cyberspace, and there's really no people there. Now, in cyberspace, you can assume an identity. You can correct every little thing's wrong about yourself. You can be what you always dreamed to be. You can be taller. You can be stronger. You can be thinner. You can be prettier. You can be smarter. You can be richer. You can have a vibrant personality. You can be anything you want to be in cyberspace because you can assume an identity. And so there's millions of people that live the tragedy of homelessness because they find in cyberspace uh, an, uh, uh, the opportunity to assume an identity. And when they assume identity, every relationship in cyberspace becomes false. 
Because you can't have a valid, genuine relationship if you're portraying yourself in a false, deceptive kind of way. God help all the homeless people that are in cyberspace that are projecting what they would like to be and what they uh, can dream of being, but not who they really, really are. You can't have a valid relationship without openness and honesty. Cyberspace gives you the opportunity to become anything you will never be and project that to, the other, the, to others. And so your world is filled with absent others because you're not sharing space. You're sharing numbers and, and addresses, but you're not sharing space. And so our world can be filled with absent others, people that we know and we Facebook with and we track and we're connected and we're talking with, but they're not sharing space. There's only so much can happen if you don't share space with someone. There is a dynamic of space that can't be replaced digitally. You know, one of our concerns in the modern world as we're adjusting to all of the, the wonderful gadgets that, that we use is uh, the, the effect that it may have upon marriages and the effect it might have upon children. Because now husbands can just text back and forth in short blurps and can say things they wouldn't say or fail to say things they would say. And they're not sharing as much space. Now, we all text and we all communicate in that way, but we have to realize that relationships cannot thrive solely on a digital basis. But there has to be some space sharing that makes relationships alive and vibrant. And now the absentee fatherism has been magnified because now father can be somewhere else and just text his children and, and raise kids via text, via digitally, rather than actually be there with them. And it can give us the false sense that we're being with them and that we're close and that we're being good fathers. And the truth is a fa an absent father is never a good father. And so absentee fathers has accelerated because now fathers are implementing with text rather than being present and sharing space. So just a word of caution. I'm not suggesting anybody uh, uh, disconnect to the digital world. I'm just saying make sure that you remember that you've got to share space in order to have meaningful relationship. Don't get lost in cyberspace. With the advent of satellite television and all the cable opportunities that we have, we have the ability to wander in homelessness even though we have a nice home, a nice recliner, a flat screen LED TV, we can still suffer the tragedy of homelessness because we really don't have place. Well, we've got a roof and a table and a chair and a TV, but we really don't have a life. I'm reaching for thousands of people in America that have all the amenities and they can sit at home and bring a sporting event right into their living room and they can watch every detail and analyze every play and be there the moment the final goal is made and the championship is won. And I'm reaching out to people that can share the life of the Robertsons and Duck Dynasty and see how they live it and how they relate and laugh at their jokes and look at their lifestyle and somehow vicariously live with the Robertsons. Or someone else can choose the Kardashians and they can watch what they wear and how they live and what they eat and where they exercise and all the things that they do and live vicariously their life. So TV can bring it near and give you a window in but cannot bring people close. You see, to be what we want to be in life, a human being has got to share space. And merely watching it on television will not give you a life intriguing and interesting, but for many, they're, uh, they're implementing real life with television programs called real television, reality television. So be careful that you don't get caught up in these things and fail to live your life and really share space with other people around you. Uh, you're, to have a meaningful relationship, you've got to be in your place and share that space. TV and the cyberspace allows us to circumvent that. Everybody needs geography, geography. I'm emphasizing geography today uh, because if you stop and you read your Bible, it's everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. God put great emphasis on geography. There were places on the earth that were more special, that were 
uh, holy places. There were places throughout the Bible that were significant and people went there because there they felt closer to God and they had a more meaningful experience with God. Um, so today there, there's holy ground, there's chosen geography. There are plots of ground that God said, this is my place to meet with my people. He owns the whole earth, but he chooses pieces of it and calls it a meeting place with God. Do you remember the story of Jacob as he is going away from his uh, father's house to, to search, to build a life and search for a wife in another land? And in his journey, he stops at a place that would ultimately call, be called Bethel. And he spends the night with his head on a rock. And during the night, he has a dream. And in the dream, there's a ladder stretched between heaven and earth. And angels are going up and angels are going down. And, uh, and at the end of the night, he woke up and said, when I picked this place to spend the night, I had no idea that this was the very gate of heaven. I had no idea that this spot of ground, this little place to spend the night on the side of the road was literally the gate of heaven, the house of God. And so you continue to study that geography throughout the Bible and you find out that over and over again, God's people went back to that one place where Jacob put his head on the rock and he saw the angels ascending and descending. You see, it was a literal porthole between heaven and earth, the dimension of the spirit and the dimension of, of, of the earth, matter. It was an opening and Bethel became a primary place where the people of God would go to connect with God, hear from God, communicate with God and receive direction from God. And so today it's no different. There is specific geographies that God chooses that are special. The city of Jerusalem is God's city. It will always be God's city. The land of Israel is called the holy land in Scripture. It's still holy today. And when I have been there and I step, set my foot in the city of Jerusalem, there's nothing like it else in the earth. When you begin to go places that Jesus went and, and visit places the disciples were, it is truly holy ground and you feel closer to God in that area. And it isn't because it's a, it's a holy city. Jerusalem is an, uh, Israel is an ungodly nation. They're not Christians. There are very few Christians there. So it's not because you, you're in a place filled with Christians. It's just the, the, the land. It's just the history. It's just what happened on that spot of ground. It's holy ground. Ladies and gentlemen, there's holy ground all over this planet, local churches that God has chosen to be an opening, a portal into heaven where he wants to meet with his people. And I will tell you unequivocally that this place you're sitting in today is holy ground. It's a special place that God has chosen to meet with his people, to communicate and to bless his people from. This is holy ground. It's not like a Walmart or a Costco or a restaurant you eat, eat in or, or, or the theater in Woodlands or any of those places. This is holy ground and God has chosen this place. It's true you can have church anywhere. It's true you can hear from God anywhere. It's true that God can touch you anywhere. It's true you can have church just anywhere you want to. But it's just as true that God chooses pieces of ground and he said that's holy ground and I create an opening, a porthole between the spiritual dimension in the earth, and it's there that I want to meet with my people. That's why you and I have churches, and we come back here every week. You know, when you walk in this place, you say, this is the house of God. It's not just another auditorium or another meeting place. It's the house of God. It's dedicated to the things of God, the name of God, the word of God. This place was built by the gifts of the, of the people, the tithe and offerings of people like you and people before you. This is a place dedicated unto God. And when you come in, teach your children, this is the house of God. This is the house of God. When we go there, we're going there because it's an act that brings me closer to God, an act that puts me in an optimum position to hear from God. You see, you can hear the Bible taught anywhere, anytime, and it'll be a blessing to you. And you can learn and grow wherever you are from whomever. But there's something about going to your church and being in your house. This optimizes everything in life. And it's not just back there in those seats, but this altar is holy. There's something about getting out of a pew 
and walking down an aisle and coming into an altar area. It gives you the sense I'm getting closer to God. I'm optimizing my opportunities to receive something from God because it's holy. That's why we come to the altar because it's a holy place. That's why we get married at an altar because it's a holy place. So I'm reestablishing in your understanding the importance of holy ground and geography and how important it is for every person to have this kind of place in their life. That's my church. There's a lot of good churches in this Woodlands area, great pastors, great congregations, wonderful buildings. And I'm not saying that this building is more holy than theirs, of course. I'm just saying this is one of the places God has chosen. And it doesn't matter uh, how many other places there are. You have to have your place. There's a lot of beautiful women in the world, but there's only one Renee Clark, and she's mine. For 38 years, she's mine. And so it's about this is my place. This is where God has sent me. This is my pastor. This is my spiritual family. This is the people God has put me together with. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm going to flourish and I'm going to grow and I'm going to achieve the things in my life God has called me to. You've got to be connected with holy ground. You have to be connected with holy people. And you have to be connected with holy purposes. You see, when God aligns you with a place, he aligns you with people, then their destinies are somehow dovetailed with yours. And somehow your destiny will encourage their destiny and their destiny will encourage your destiny. And their lives will somehow help to build your life and help you get where you want to go and you'll help them get to where they want to go. That's when it's all working together because everybody has found their place. I want to take you to the book of Psalms, chapter 92, and I want to read you a favorite verse of mine that I see so much truth in. Psalm 92, let's read it. Those who are planted, everybody say planted, in the house of the Lord shall flourish, look at that word flourish, in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. So the first word is the word plant, those that are planted. You know, when you plant something, you commit it to that piece of geography. When you plant something, you commit it to that piece of geography. And God said, you need to be planted in my house. That means committed to that piece of geography. And that means to have roots in that plot of ground. Well, we live in a mobile society. We just do. We move around. Opportunities come, and uh, we, we take those opportunities. Many of you are sitting in woodlands because a great opportunity opened up for you, and you moved here, and God's blessed you in it, and I celebrate that. Thank God for it. Um, but it's important to, to be planted, uh, and it's important not to get so caught up in this mobile society that you're always moving around. You know, we buy and sell houses, buy and sell cars. We shade wives and husbands. We move around from church to church. Uh, we go from city to city. America's become a very mobile society. And uh, all I'm saying is that in the context of this extremely mobile society, don't forget that if you're going to flourish, you've got to get planted. And you can't be moved every little while. You can't keep swapping homes, swapping careers, swapping cities, swapping churches, swapping friends, swapping pastors. You just can't keep doing that and flourish. You've got to find your place and get planted, and it's from there that you're going to flourish. I, tell, I use an illustration that might help. It's about a tree, a beautiful tree that you love very much, so you plant in your front yard, and every time you drove in your driveway, you said, man, look at that beautiful tree. I just love that tree. But then in the morning you would wake up and you'd drink your coffee on the back porch and you'd look out there and say, you know what, I wish I had that beautiful tree in my backyard because I could sit here and watch that beautiful tree as I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. So you dig the tree up out of the front yard and you move it to the backyard. The tree seems to do fine. So you're drinking coffee and you're watching your tree out in the backyard and saying, man, what a beautiful tree that is in my backyard. But then your neighbor stops and says one day, says, hey, what'd you do with that beautiful tree in the front yard? I love to drive by your house and see that tree. It made our whole neighborhood beautiful. And you're like, wow, how selfish of me. I shouldn't have put it in the backyard. I should have put it in the front yard. So you dig it up again and you move it back to the front yard and 
you already know what's going to happen to this tree, right? You keep moving it back and forth, and it's virtually going to die. It's for sure not going to be flourishing and fruitful. And if you keep moving the important parts of your life and switching and swapping, I promise you, you're not going to be fruitful and flourish because the Scripture said you've got to get planted. Those roots have to go deep. And when the storms of life come, it's the root system that holds it together. I planted a new tree in my backyard um, for my, for my wife is a magnolia. She's a Mississippi gal, so she wanted a state tree in the backyard. So went and got a nice uh, uh, magnolia, and I planted that thing in the ground. And uh, the storm came before the roots spread out and really gripped. You know, it was just dig a hole in the ground, stick it in there, put some stakes around it, and just wait for the roots to take off. But before the roots could take off, the storm came, and it blew the thing over, and it dislodged loose. So I stood it back up, packed the roots back down, staked it back down. A little while later, another big wind came through the backyard and blew the tree over again. The point is, the roots couldn't reach out and grip and get a hold of the ground. It hadn't been there long enough. It hadn't been still long enough. And so I lost that tree. I got to go buy her another magnolia because uh, the fact is the tree didn't get rooted. And when the storm came, it, it didn't survive the storm. And when droughts come, if you're not rooted, the tree's going to die. So you got to get rooted. You got to know this is where God wants me. Storms aren't going to shake me. Problems aren't going to confuse me. I'm not moving around. I'm always looking for something bigger, better, more wonderful, newer, fresher, cooler. Get planted, get planted, get planted in the house of God. And he said, even in your old age, you'll bear fruit. Well, that means time. That means a space. That, that means that it's not all of a sudden. It's a process. It also means that in a long longevity, you'll have longevity about it. You know, some things are really good at first, but they don't stay good. Join a church, everything's perfect, everybody loves you, everything's fine. It's like the best church you've ever been in. Then the honeymoon's over, and suddenly it's like, man, I need to go look for another church. Well, you've got you to have roots. Got to have roots. Weather the storm. It's not just what hot, what's hot now, what's cool now, but it's saying this is where God wants me. This is the voice that's in my life. This is the spiritual family he's given me, and I'm going to plant roots, and I'm going to see this church move forward and, and touch thousands of people for Christ. And even when I've been there a long time, I'm going to be bearing fruit continuously. Look at the last two words. He talks about being, flirt, being fruitful and flourishing. What great words. Fruitful, flourishing. I don't know about you, but flourishing is a beautiful word to describe the kind of life that I want to live. I want to be fruitful and flourishing. How many of you want to be fruitful and flourishing? And the trick of that, and it's not really a trick, it's just a principle that you get planted in the house of God, you grow some roots, and let God bless you from that position. You need a place where you feel closer to God. You need divine alignments in your life, people that God has chosen. You know, in my family, I didn't get to choose my family. Um, I just was born into my family. Some of them are really great folks, and some of them are a little bit off, but they're still my family. I didn't get to choose them. I married Renee. I just wanted Renee. I got all these other people who came along with her. I didn't choose all those people. I, I had no idea what I was getting into. She, right after we met, she took me to a family reunion, had 125 people there, and at least 100 of them I didn't ever want to see again. But, I mean, it was either take Renee or not. I got the whole package. And she got my whole package, and, and it wasn't necessarily what I chose. But my spiritual family is a different deal altogether. My spiritual family is who God has chosen for me, who I have responded and said, this is my spiritual family. I have embraced them. You need a spiritual family. I can tell you that in many cases, your spiritual family will mean more to you and be more beneficial to you than your natural family. And sometimes your natural family can be a little mixed up and not really be on board and not be a big benefit to your life. I hope they are, but not always. Sometimes your spiritual family is what holds you together and gets you to where you want to be and makes your life wonderful. I hope that you have natural and spiritual family, but for many, their spiritual family is more important than their natural family. Everybody needs a spiritual family that you've chosen and that God has chosen for you. A spiritual family will help you grow and mature. Love them, protect them, value them. Don't throw them away. Love them. They're an important part of your life. You need chosen geography. You need a divine alignment in terms of relationships. And you need a purpose. You need a purpose individually and you need a purpose collectively. 
and your spiritual place gives you all of these things. Sometimes people need new geography, just a fact. Sometimes they need a new start. Sometimes they need a fresh beginning. I understand that. Um, I get it. I know that Christians, if you're a Christian your whole life, in the course of your life, you're likely to be a member of four to five churches. If you live for God 60, 70 years uh, and you, you're, you're, you go from childhood throughout your life, you're likely to be a part of five or six churches. If you live for God 30, 40 years, you're likely to be a part of three or four churches. Uh, that's that's kind of the, the statistics that we understand. So sometimes God moves people around. You know, you may get a big opportunity somewhere else down in Sugar Land. You may have to come down there and go to church with me. <laughs> Who knows? And I got people that down in Sugar Land, they get a job opportunity up here. They come on up here. And I have to love them leaving, coming, and love them going. And I realize that's part of life, right? That's part of life. Sometimes people need new geography. They need a new fresh start. They need a new beginning. There may be somebody here today that you just need to recycle church. People get hurt in church, especially pastors. You know, I pastor lots of folks, and I pastor a whole lot of pastors. And that's my great joy. And I can tell you there's a lot of hurt pastors in this world. Some of them are not even in church anymore because they got hurt so bad in local churches. They just, they just pulled out altogether. I know others that are broken and uh, may not be fulfilling their best and highest call of God because they just got hurt just got hurt. It's not like somebody did it on purpose. It just happened and they got hurt. And I know pastors that are still pastoring, but inside they're broken because things happen in a church and they just got wounded very deeply and uh, they're just being healed because people get hurt in church. And of course, the saints of God, my Lord, what y'all have to put up with from we pastors sometimes, people get hurt in church. They just do. And you know, there's thousands of people right here in the Houston area, right here in the North Houston Woodlands area. I'm telling you, there's thousands of people that aren't in church this morning because they got hurt. Just got hurt. I don't know. Something happened. It wasn't like it was planned or intentional. It just happened. And they got hurt. And they're sitting at home and, and they're watching TV, some great preacher they love on television. Thank God for all the television preachers. Or maybe they're watching us on live stream today, and they're, they're picking it up off their Internet. Thank God for live streaming so people can watch us on the Internet. A lot of people travel, and a lot of people are confined, can't be in church, but thank God they tune in on, on the Internet. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's a good thing. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like sharing space. There's nothing like being in a house with people you love that love you, with a pastor you admire, and, and where you're hearing the word and worshiping together. I mean, you can pray by yourself, it's marvelous, and you worship by yourself, it's great. But there's just something about being with the family. You know, like, I can eat by myself, and it's good food, and I like it, and I'm hungry, and I'm glad to have it. But I'd rather eat with people than by myself. I don't like to eat by myself. I want to eat with people. And that's the way worship is. It's not that you can't worship alone. It's just not as good. You want to be with somebody you enjoy being with. You want to be with family and friends. You want, to, you want to worship God and share geography. And the local church gives you the opportunity to share geography and to be a part, to bump into each other and shake hands and backslap and go through the seasons of life together, and face storms and, and experience great victories, all of it together. And the internet cannot give you that. And TV cannot give you that. Only sharing space and being in a local church and being in the house of God. You know, like we pastors, we study statistics because it's our business. You probably study statistics in your business as well. Well, we do the same thing. And we find out that if you've got 600 people on a Sunday morning, you're probably pastoring about 1,000 because 40% of your congregation is not going to be there on any given Sunday. 40% is just not there. So about 60% is what shows up from week to week. We also find out that most people in America, good, solid, committed Christians that love God, saved, contribute, serve, and all that, they average about two and a half Sundays a month. Well, what about the other Sunday and a half? Well, it's just not the way we live. You know, we got this, we got that, we do this, we do whatever. And uh, so people just don't have a week-to-week -week commitment to church. Well, it certainly doesn't challenge your salvation, but it might affect whether you're fruitful and flourishing. And it certainly affects this church. 
I want to encourage you to build your house around the life, your life around the house of God. I want to encourage you to make an every Sunday commitment. I want to encourage you to do that. Just say, you know what? We go to church every Sunday. Well, I know we go on vacation once, twice a year. And yeah, uh, sometimes I, we get the virus or the flu or something happens. We got to stay home. And, you know, some things happen that, that we can't avoid. But we, we have an every Sunday commitment. We go to church every Sunday, period. It's just on the calendar. It's there. It's going to be there. And sometimes we get sidetracked and we don't get to go. But, you know, we have a commitment to every week. So why not be a Christian that builds your life around four Sundays a week instead of just two and a half, which most Christians do, or even less? Just make a commitment. I'm going to be in the house of God because you're going to do something. You know, that, that other Sunday and a half, you're doing something. You're building your life around something. But you, you're not building it around the house of God. So I'm taking a moment to just say, build your life around the house of God. Make a commitment to be in the house of God. And if you need to recycle your church experience, get started. If you got hurt or you got sidetracked or maybe you just moved into town and maybe you've been looking for the perfect church or looking for the right church, I pray that somehow the words I've said today will help lock you in and say, you know what, he's right. I need to be at this house. I need to make a commitment to this church. You won't find a better church in celebration in this whole region. This is it right here. This is it. And I hope that you'll just recycle, get committed again, and start all over again. I know there's hurt people, and we want to see them healed. Just forgive and forget and go on with your life because you're, you're going to miss out. You know, a lot of Americans suffer the tragedy of divorce. And uh, when people get divorced, they're hurt, they're devastated, and they say things like, I'm not ever getting married again. I'm done with that marriage thing. I'm not ever going through that again. But, you know, after a while, get lonely, get to thinking about a husband or a wife or whatever, and they start getting interested in somebody, and next thing you know, they walk in the aisle. When you get hurt in church, you know, there's that period of time when you say, man, you know, I'm done with church. I'm just going to live for God, be a Christian, but I'm not doing that church thing again. Uh, at some point, you just got to say, you know what? I'm hungry for the house of God. I'm hungry for the people of God. They may be a little mixed up, a little messed up, but I still love them all. I'm just hungry to be back with the family of God. Like I talked to you about some of my messed up family. You know, they're a little messed up, but I still love them, and I sure ain't getting rid of them because i got to have a family. And you need a church family. You need a church home. And I want to encourage you to make this the place you call home. And if you have a place in this church and you know that God has sent you here and you've been working and serving and contributing and you know that this is like my place and you got it, I want to encourage you to don't lose your place. Don't take your place for granted. Don't minimize its importance. But say in your heart, you know, God gave me this place and I'm going to take care of it. Have you ever been in a season of your life when you were without a church? It gets lonely out there, folks. So life's a lot better when you got a good church and you got a family and you love the people and they love you and you got a pastor you love and admire and a music team you really enjoy worshiping with. When you got that kind of stuff, take care of it. Take care of it. I talk to people all the time moving in the Houston area, and they look for a year or more looking for the church. It just kind of feels like them. I understand that. You know, sometimes you walk in the first church and say, whoop, this is it. No, I'm looking no further. Other times it's like this one and this one and this one, and they're all good, and I like some of all of them, but I just can't find my place. You know, I just don't feel like that's where we need to commit and be. So when you find that place, take care of it. It's kind of like if you've got a good wife, love and cherish her. you got a good man, take care of him. you got a good job, be a good employee. If you got a good business, take care of it. If you've got a good church and things are working for you, take care of it. It's a precious thing. And if you lose it, it's sometimes very difficult to replace. Can you say amen? If I didn't have a place, I'd start really asking God to show me where he wanted me to be. I'd dedicate some time in prayer and I'd probably fast a few meals and just get focused and say, God, I got to have a place for my family. I'm not going to live homeless. I'm not going to wander out here from church to church and watching stuff on television and wondering where I'm supposed to be next Sunday morning. I want to find my place and I want you to show me, Father, where you want to be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll be a part of any church, but I just want to know that when I get there, you sent me. I'd start listening hard. Remember, there's a connection between a pastor's voice and each of you. When that pastor speaks, you can feel a connection. You can, you can feel it. 
you just feel that connection, that's a sign that that may be the pastor God has chosen for you. If in that place you find purpose and meaning and you feel like I'm a part of a team that's making a difference in touching lives and you can see the families coming in and their lives being transformed and their lives being move, move, have, uh, moving forward and you realize, you know, I want to be a part of a team. Life was made to be done in team. Ministry was made to be done in team. And there's a place for you on this team and I'd be looking for my place. And in all that you do, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else you'll need will be added unto you. God said, don't focus on that. Don't worry about that. Just keep your eyes on me and focus on my kingdom. And I'll work everything out for you. It's a philosophy of life. It's a belief system that governs everything that we do. Everybody needs a place to call home. I'm asking you to close your Bibles. Cut it off. Close the flap. However it works for you. And I want to pray with you. Thank you for giving me this time to be with you this morning. What a great church you are. You know, I just felt you listening deep. I just felt like you had your ears open this morning and you were listening. And I hope I've used your time wisely. And God has blessed me to speak deep into your heart and to help you at this season of your life. I want to pray a blessing on you. Then Sarah's going to come and finish the service. But I want to pray an apostolic blessing on you all, all your families. I just want to pray over you and bless you and ask God's goodness and grace to be upon you, your house, and this house. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. There we go. Let's move, move just a little bit. Now, if you came with someone uh, today, a family member, something you want to join hands, join hands with your family member. And, uh, and I want to pray with you. Father, thank you for the nearness of your presence that we feel right now. Truly, you have come close. Thank you, Lord, for the, the wind of your spirit, the breeze of God that's blowing across our hearts. I pray for homeless people today. People that feel like wanderers, the perpetual guest, not really a part. I pray, Lord, that you would resolve that issue in their lives that today there would be a, a real knowing that would come into their spirit, a knowing that only comes from the Holy Spirit. I pray a blessing on people that have been hurt and injured in other church environments. I pray, Lord, that you would heal their hearts, give them new zeal and new joy and new enthusiasm for your work and your family. God, heal their trust, their ability to trust. Heal that, I pray in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and may it make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May the joy of the Lord fill your heart and the Holy Spirit overshadow you. May goodness and mercy follow you every day of your life. May he guide your feet and bless the work of your hand. May he use you for his kingdom. Take you where he wants you to go to do the things you were born to do. May you experience optimum fulfillment. May your significance be ever before you. And may you always be a vital part 